Hi, Kirby. Hi, Sarah. Welcome, Welcome to Los Angeles. Welcome, Glamgelinos. We hope you stay a while. <laughs> That's cute. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Do my cheekbones look higher than usual? I was going to tell you, your cheekbones and your jawline look extremely snatched. Thank you. It takes a village. It takes a lot of microcurrent, Kirby Johnson. I just came back from the Joanna Vargas spa on Ugh. Kings, the new one. It is so beautiful. In West Hollywood. Yes, in West Hollywood. So previous to that, the spa was at Sunset Tower Hotel, which is iconic. But unfortunately, it was just like in the dungeon, sort of. It was dark. Yeah. There was just not enough room for everything that Joanna Vargas wants to offer. There were like four treatment rooms or something like that. So they have this new spot and there's 12 treatment rooms. It's beautiful and sunny. The sound of birds chirping is the soundtrack. And <laughs> no, truly, I was like, what is that? The, the <laughs> lo- lovely esthetician, Tina, she did microcurrent with the actual like spheres orbs and then she did this mask that uses i don't remember what the technology is but you put it on top of like the sheet mask so it helps like penetrate it really really deeply into your skin and then she finishes with microcurrent gloves yeah the microcurrent gloves man oh my gosh i wish that we could have those at home (laughs) i want a pair (laughs) i would literally all day just be like this Shawnee did them (laughs) on me when I went to see her last week. Oh my gosh. And literally like my eye was twitching, but I was like, just give it to me, girl. Keep going. Yeah. It's such an interesting feeling because you just can't really control what's happening. But you're like, more, turn it up, higher. I think Shawnee does this too, where it's like one half the face first. And then you pause and look in the mirror and you're like, oh my God. The drainage, the lift, you're like, oh, I could use this on my entire body. The things I would do if I had these gloves at I home, I would be Kirby. like giving me a breast <laughs> lift. I'd be like doing my arms. I'd do my like armpit fat. I'd yeah. just be rubbing my body. <laughs> so apparently you could get a lymphatic drainage a massage at Joanna Vargas. And then you could do the LED bed. You could do the hyperbaric oxygen tank, which I'm like, Kirby, let's just make a day of it. Send us in. And do all of it. Tina was like, you will feel like you slept 18 hours. And I was like, immediately, yes, I need that now. (laughs) (laughs) So, wow. Let's go back. So much to offer at Joanna Vargas. I love her stuff. Like all her products. Her daily serum is really just that bitch like i love the smell of it i love the way it makes my skin look i love it all i know her eden line like the serum the moisturizer my skin just like eats it up it's just she's so good and she's just like the best she is the best she's just so fabulous i went for the opening and it was magical and i was like stealing as many sheet masks i could muster into my purse 
And you know that it's like you're a really great esthetician icon when like the other icons are also there celebrating you. So I think like yeah. Shawnee was there and Renee Rulo was there, like all of them was supporting she? each other. I saw a picture. I saw a picture. Oh, wow. That's incredible. Well, I missed that. But like, I agree. Candace Marino, the LA facialist was there. So many peeps. Have you gone to her? I've been to Candace many times and she does amazing, amazing treatments. I, I love her treatments. She does a really good facial massage. Oh my God. Yeah. I'm like, get in my jaw, get all in there. In other news, y'all, in sync, this is happening. This is happening. We need to be prepared. I'm going to say something and I might have to bleep this out because even though I am a reporter, I actually don't like to cause drama and I don't know if this is actually verified, but okay. I have it on very, very good accord that NSYNC is reuniting at the MTV VMAs next week when this comes out like today. Is that in LA? That's what I was asking. Wait, because I got a pitch about Clayton Hawkins doing Olivia Rodrigo's hair for the VMAs. Is it in New York? I can't tell. It says it's technically today. 2023 MTV Video Music Awards. Oh, fuck. Yeah, it's in New York. Come on, man. We're sick of this shit. No shade to New York. This needs to be in Los Angeles. What are they doing? This is ridiculous. Because that's the home of MTV. And if this is going to be an iconic reunion. No, no, no. I refuse. I'm so disappointed. I'm so disappointed. Again, who knows? Maybe the person that shared this with me is totally making it up. Who? Okay, I will tell you. But if I'm leaving this in, this means I got more than three sources to confirm this for me. Sounds good to me. Sounds like an allure story. Three verified sources. We're good to go. Okay. Have you seen any of this marionette stuff? No, explain, explain. So I think it was Wednesday or Thursday, but I started getting tagged in videos from Bob Baker marionettes. Oh, okay. In LA. Yes. And I was like, okay, what is this? And you go to it and they posted kind of a teaser. It's very clearly in sync marionettes. And it says performances at Universal City Walk on Friday, September 8th at 9 a.m. And then again at the Chinese Theater at 3 p.m. I was like, okay, they're probably just like hyping up like the discourse over in sync, maybe reuniting. But then I'm like, I'm an idiot because Bob Baker marionettes aren't just going to be like, oh, let's get in on the fun and do this and go to these two very high traffic spots in Los Angeles to do a performance with NSYNC dolls. So then a follower of mine sent me a story that somebody posted. And this person is in marketing at Universal Pictures, which oversees the Trolls film. And she was posting like, my job takes me fun places or make, like, makes me do fun things. And she was at Universal City Walk this morning with the NSYNC dolls. So this is very clearly a marketing strategy to promote the Trolls Band Together movie, which comes out in November. But because the actors are on strike, Universal is like, okay, we're not even going to promote this movie. We're promoting the music. And who is on that soundtrack in sync? We know this. So I am going at 3 p.m. Oh to the Chinese theater. Did they come out? I do not think they're coming out. I do not think so. I think they're just hyping people up and you can go and see the performance and then they play a teaser <laughs> of the new song. 
So I'm going to go for the people and thank you for your service. Bust out the audio visual so we can listen to this new song. It's obviously going to be very trollsy. It's going to be like made for children. But my hope is that this is going to catapult us into full on reunion mode. We're going to get a world tour next year. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) I'm so excited that you're going. So please live stream all the things. I was reading a comment on JC's Instagram where it was someone was like, when's the reunion? We're all getting old. (laughs) And I was like, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. I need to be alive and well for this. I want to be able to move and gyrate my hips without, you know, hurting it. So let's let's go. Let's fucking go. We got to figure out childcare. We need to understand where we're going. I need to plan. Like, how much money do I need to spend on these tickets? I need to budget. Do I need to rent a house in Vegas for a month? Like, what are we doing? I need to know these things. I need to know if I got to travel to Orlando. I want to go back to where it all started, Texas. Okay. uh, Texas Stadium, where yours truly was serenaded on stage. I need to make that memory happen. I need to plan my outfits. I'm spending thousands of dollars on my outfits. I don't care. I do not care. I will be fully, fully in these outfits, shaking my ass. I just cannot fucking wait. I hope that this actually is going to happen. Okay, all together now, let's sing JC's song from the Meow Mix commercial. (laughs) Meow, meow, meow. (laughs) Meow, 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 meow. Meow, meow, meow. How did he get paid for that? I hope he got a million dollars. I truly hope Meow Mix paid him what he's worth. Not me like constantly checking if he read our Instagram story. Seen? Seen? No, not seen. See, it's so rude. He doesn't ever see anything I tag him in. But (sighs) one of these days, he's going to have to give in (laughs) to us. He follows Jenna Ushkowitz. Should we? He knows Allie. Yeah, right. He knows Allie. Yeah. But I'm like... What's our way? What's the way in? Listen, I already said that if Patrick is proposing JC know, or and bust, it's too, it's too. No, it's not. It's not because I know, I know enough people that we can make this happen. We can make, we can make this happen. Imagine me walking into a place and it's like JC singing, your love is like a river. No, he's singing the Spanish version of this. I promise you. <laughs> I, I don't even know how the lyrics in Spanish. With a turtleneck in 90 degree weather. Correct. My turtleneck king. Let's let's do this. Patrick would probably not like that because he'd be like, you're not even looking at me. Yeah. So maybe... Birthday surprise. Yeah. Cameo <laughs> video. Birthday surprise. <laughs> do not. Not a cameo video. I need, I need to be in person. In person. Let us pray. Let us pray. Okay. But... The reason why we even <laughs> said the JC thing was because, guys, we are booked with guests through the end of the year. Woo. Woo. Look at us. That is called being proactive and just getting that stuff scheduled. Booked and busy. So we're very excited. We have a bunch of really great guests. And if you're JC, we will move people around. Somebody listening to this podcast has got to know someone that has a direct line to JC. And they have to be like, listen, there are these two unhinged women the age of 36 that need desperate mental evaluation, but they love you and you need to go on their podcast. 
talk about your hair. We can talk about your hair evolution. We can sing the Meow Mix song. I was like looking at pictures of him and his, is it his wife or is it, is it his girlfriend? Girlfriend. Okay. How lucky are you, Biatch? Biatch, you have this man. You have the voice. She surely had to have been a fan. No, that's how it goes, though. She was a Backstreet Boys fan. Yeah. She followed 98 Degrees. <laughs> the Backstreet Boys. <laughs> like, most of their wives are like, I didn't listen to boy bands. I I was into, like, kid rock. All right, right. Missed opportunity here. Like, find a fan. Find a fan. That was like that episode of Dave where he meets yes. that girl who pretends to not know anything about him. And then she's like a super fan. Anyways, what do, what do we have going on today, Kirby Johnson? Okay, guys. So the news this week is that we have a special correspondent stopping in. And we were talking about the Naturium acquisition. Elf acquired Naturium. Huge news. Probably the biggest news of the last two weeks. Sarah and I had so many questions, which was hilarious because we had so many people reach out to us and say oh, I have some intel on this and all these other things. But then we were like, why not just talk to someone who's actually had their brand acquired? And I'm actually feeling really good about this, Sarah, because I was like, there's no way that someone who gets their brand acquired would be able to come on and kind of like share what actually happens. But our correspondent is here and she's willing to. So we have Juru and she started Hero Cosmetics with $30,000 in September 17. She sold to Church and Dwight in August 2022 for, count it, $630 million. Brava. This was major news. Thank you, ladies. <laughs> I mean, and it's already a year old. I know. Can you believe that? I mean, you probably have so much to share in terms of like what's happened since. Yeah. But we wanted you on the show, Ju, because you have been getting on TikTok and sharing your experience saying, I had my brand acquired. Here's some things that people are probably not thinking about when it comes to these huge acquisitions. Of course, everyone's talking about the money and, you know, like life made and like you're good to go. But you've been so upfront. I want to encourage everybody to follow you on TikTok and Instagram if they're not already. But you've been so upfront about the fact that, you know, when you and your business partner started Hero, you knew it wasn't going to be a brand you were going to pass down to your children because you're not working with family. You're working yeah. with business partners. Right. So ultimately, you had an exit plan for this brand. I'm fascinated by this. Do you think that it's kind of, I don't want to say fake, but like we hear these founder stories about how they wanted to launch these brands and it was their passion and like mm -hmm. all of these things. And, and it's like, Talking about a big exit is almost like a big no-no. It's like the elephant in the room. Yeah. Do you think that brands should be more upfront about the fact that they're running a business? I mean, hey, nothing wrong with people who truly are passionate about what they're building and maybe they really aren't thinking about an exit or selling the company at some point. We were really upfront about it. And actually, I think if you do have the end goal in mind, you can actually reverse engineer things and it, it affects your strategy. It affects how you maybe raise money. It affects how you plan for your business. So I actually think it's a good thing to know what the ultimate outcome that you want is because it could help you make different decisions. Otherwise, you might just go into, quote unquote, I guess, blind to what you think you're trying to do and make a lot of mistakes. So I think there's nothing wrong with it. I also feel like in the last 
few years and, you know, with social media, that's when people, consumers started like learning, you know, the founder story behind the brand and like getting mm-hmm. to know the founder and, and all those things. But before that, people didn't really care. They just cared if yeah. the product worked well. And I think actually a majority of people who are purchasing beauty products are also in that same camp, right? So it's like, while we're so in the beauty world and we care so much about the founder stories, obviously like this podcast would be nothing without, you know, those incredible stories. Yeah. But I do think like a lot of people just want that mighty patch that's going to work and they don't care if you're in it to, you know, pass down to your children or if you just want to make $630 million. I heard you guys talking about this on the last episode because I think you ladies were talking about like, oh, you know, how much money do we think Susan Yara made and et cetera, et cetera. I will say the headline price, it's actually very misleading. Okay. It's very catchy because obviously it's in the news. And a lot of times I would say more often than not, it does not equal what actually ends up in the founder or founder's bank account. First, that's the headline price. And then a lot of times there are deductions that are done sort of as part of the transaction. So there's like X amount put into some account in case there's a lawsuit in the next like five years, there's X amount for any kind of working capital or inventory issues, et cetera. Other thing is that if you have investors, investors usually take a good chunk of the company or of the equity in the company. And then I think with Susan and also myself, we're both the faces of our brands, but we're not the only ones that are equity holders in the company. So I have two co-founders who, you know, aren't very public with their profiles. And obviously Ben Bennett, he's a little bit more behind the scenes also. And then there's a team. A lot of times the core team, they get a chunk too. So when you do the math, like I don't have $630 million in my bank account. So all that to say, sometimes it can be a little bit misleading, I think. But I mean, when you have a number that high, though, you definitely are happy with the result. Yes, I am happy. I am happy for sure. Because I was like, a difference between $630 million and 630000 is like, if it was yes. 630000 you might be like, okay, what are we really looking at here? But $630 million, you're like, I think she's probably very happy with this situation. I'm definitely very happy. <laughs> you deserve it. I hope you treated yourself to. I, I don't even know. What did you treat yourself to, Ju? What did you treat yourself to? Did you go shopping? I did do some shopping. I took myself on a nice trip with a girlfriend, actually. So I went to Greece. I stayed at the, uh, the Amon Zoe there just to, yeah, relax and literally do nothing. I took my family on a vacation Uh, a really nice vacation just to be able to celebrate with them. You know, definitely bought myself some things for sure. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly what I would do. And then I'd buy like six puppies and like live on a farm with my six puppies. That's what I would probably do. Okay. Can you tell us like, what is the acquisition process like? Like, I think that's something that we don't know. We just see yeah. the headline news. Yes. We don't know how long these conversations have been happening. So like how far in advance are you talking to buyers? Like what does that look like? Yeah, it's funny because it's kind of like a, a dirty secret or something. Like people don't really like to talk about it. It's true. I don't know why. But there are a few ways. Sometimes it's an inbound from a potential buyer to a brand that they've been eyeing or following for a really long time. So it could be initiated by the buyer. 
in other cases, like what we did was we actually proactively went out to the market. So that took end to end probably a year or maybe a little bit longer. So we knew we were going to go out and that we wanted to hire bankers around summer of 2021. So August, we interviewed different banks. We chose Fininka Raymond James, Vinette Ho. She's the key banker there for Beauty Personal Care. Signed that agreement in November. And then you basically have to do the brain dump, explaining everything about your business to the banker so that they can present your business as best as possible to potential buyers. And there are you know, a bunch of few months where they're actively gathering data and doing modeling and they create what's called the SIM, which I think stands for Company Investment Memorandum, CIM. And so that's like the master document that they go out with. It's probably like a 150 page presentation about your business. And then what we did was we went through some very casual coffee chats and fireside chat meetings with different players out there. The bankers were introducing us, you know, getting to know each other, introducing them to our business brand and vice versa. And then you officially launched the process. And that's where you send out that big SIM deck and you solicit first bids, basically. So you solicit first bids, you use that to sort of see who's, you know, really interested and who you might want to continue getting to know along further in the process. That really kicks off due diligence. And then sometimes there's a second bid. And then there's usually a final bid. And ideally, you would have multiple bids. That's not always the case. But ideally, you would have at least one final bid. And then you start negotiating the all the agreements, all the purchase agreements and legal contracts and things like that. So for us, it took end to end about 12 months. Okay. I have several follow-up questions. In that sim, what is the most important thing that these bankers are looking for within your business? They're maybe looking, I'm literally making this up because I have no idea, but they want you to probably be profitable or actually have a plan to be profitable. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine that part of that. I mean, maybe it is, but it's like this brand is like so social. This brand is beloved on social. Is that a part of it? So what I learned is that, and this is why having a banker is so critical is because they really listen to you explain your business and they're able to identify the key things that make your business really, really special. So yeah, for some brands, it's going to be, they have this amazing community with a million followers on Instagram and social media and look at the engagement. They're so rabid and loyal. For us, we're really strong at Amazon. So we're oftentimes the number one beauty and personal care item on Amazon And we do Amazon in-house. We talked about that a lot as, hey, we're really good at Amazon. We can teach you or, you know, we can bring this capability to you. And that's an example of something unique to us that we talked about a lot in The Sim. Is there anything when these bankers are going through that they're like, okay, you're not ready for this? Like, what is like one red flag for them where they're like, yeah, it's going to be a no for me, dog. There's no way you're getting acquired when you have this problem. Well, I'm not a banker, so I I don't really know. But if I were to guess, I think it's probably size of business because they do want you to be at a certain like revenue scale. 
I think these days profitability is a big piece. If you're really not profitable, I think that's going to be a big red flag. I think team, I didn't realize this was so important, but I think more and more having a really deep bench at your company is important because the last thing a a buyer wants is for them to buy a business and then let's say it's founder-led, the founders leave and then it just all falls apart because they don't have the legacy knowledge or the bench of talent that's going to continue the growth of the business. I think that's uh, probably a key one too. And when you say bids, are you saying you said like there's a first bid and then a second and then a Mm -hmm. final? Is that bid from the same company or are those bids meaning coming from different companies where they are literally bidding, like trying to outbid each other? So they never know what each other is bidding. So it's not like an open sort of auction, but they will submit on letterhead a more kind of like formal letter saying, you know, this is who we are and we're really impressed with this company and our bid is X. And yeah, so they never know what the other players are bidding, but it's a banker's job to, you know, usually sort of play that subtly and make sure that that their client is getting the best valuation out there. This is really just scratching a niche that I needed scratched. Like I, I needed this information. Okay. So how does fundraising affect being acquired? You mentioned like if you have investors and stuff like that, mm-hmm. that plays into like the overall pot that people may get. Investors obviously want to return on their investment. Yes. But when you're maybe a baby brand just getting started and you're starting to fundraise, what are some things that people or brand founders need to keep in mind if they do have an exit strategy in the future? I mean, every time you raise money, you you dilute yourself. And what that means is usually you know, if you start out, let's say with a hundred percent of the equity in a company and you raise money, depending on, you know, how much you raise and all the the valuation and stuff, you're going from a hundred to like 70 to 80%. Every time you do that, your portion is getting smaller and smaller, which is fine if the total pie is getting bigger, because in theory, you could have a smaller portion of the pie, but still net out from a dollar amount at a greater amount than, you know, if you had a hundred percent. So you kind of have to think about that rather than just sort of, I guess, blindly raising money because, I mean, there are a lot of stories of founders who they raise too much money. They do end up selling the company, but they get totally washed out because a lot of times investors, they get preferred treatment. So they get paid first and then you and your employees are getting paid last And the investors will ask for a certain return. Let me like, I have to make this no matter what I get paid first. And then what's left is for the founders and for the employees. And sometimes it can be zero. So that math is very, I realize is very important. Can I ask how you all approached fundraising and investors? We, we bootstrapped actually for the first three years. So we, put our own money in. Again, have two co-founders. We put money into the company. We grew it profitably. We use the profits from the company to really fund the growth. And then we raised a round of growth capital with ARIA growth partners, Trevor Nelson and Jackie Dunklau. And that was it. We raised one round because we were profitable. So we actually didn't need the money, which is a great position to be in if, for other any other founders who are listening. If you can be in that position, it's a great position to be in because you have the choice and you can also be picky about who you choose as an investor. 
So yeah, so we wanted someone who could bring ideas and thoughts and really help us navigate the next stage. So we chose smart money, not just, you know, money, money. And yeah, then that got us to the next level and then we got acquired. You went through like how a banker decides if a business is worth like being put out to market Mm -hmm. to acquire. But I think a lot of times you see on social media, and I am the firm believer that the internet is not real life. You think a brand is doing all of the things and they have an amazing story and the storytelling's all there and they have these amazing mentors mm-hmm. and all these other things. Yeah. And it's like, sure, maybe those people are engaged on social media, but they're not actually buying those products. Uh-huh. Yeah, that happens. Or they're spending so much money on marketing. Mm-hmm. So it's like everybody sees it online and they're getting served these ads. And then Sarah and I are getting messages going, hey, have you tried this product? It's everywhere. Like, should I try it? So-and-so is using it. And and what the consumer doesn't realize is that those are paid ads. They're being planted in influencers, you know, sending them. They're doing these paid, you know, campaigns, whatever. So like, what would you say to a consumer who maybe from the outsides thinks a brand is like absolutely killing it because of their social strategy, but like, what could be going on behind the scenes that would keep them from being profitable or not profitable, but from being acquired rather? It's sort of like our social media lives, right? Like it looks perfect and glossy and the brand's crushing it. But if you dig a little bit deeper, it could be a total mess. And so what are some things that could be happening? There could be a lot of supply chain issues. So there are brands where they're like, we sold out and, you know, we sold out so quickly, which kind of is a scarcity tactic. It's like, oh my gosh, like there's, you know, limited supply of this product, so you have to buy it. But on the back end side, like it's actually not a good thing because you're leaving money on the table and, or you might be having supply chain problems. So you just don't have the inventory and that can put businesses in a tricky spot because, well, A, you're leaving money on the table, but there could be other repercussions because if you're in a retailer and you can't supply, then they're going to go to your competition. So that can be a downward spiral uh, situation for sure. There could be culture, like toxic culture type of issues at the company where maybe they can't keep talent and employees aren't happy, or maybe the founder is kind of cuckoo. And when you can't keep your talent and your team, you lose a lot of efficiency and you lose a lot of productivity, which can definitely negatively impact your business. You know, sometimes it's as simple as maybe the the gross margins for the product are really low. So maybe they're making this amazing product and it's affordable and all that, but it could be that the company themselves, they're just not making a lot of money because the actual, the cogs, the cost of goods for that particular product line, it's really expensive. So there could be so many things. Wow, wow, love. So you gotta be real smart to run a business, Kirby, is what I'm <laughs> learning. And and to sell it and make a buck. <laughs> and you and I are not gonna be a good uh, business uh, owners. Maybe we'll learn something after all these interviews. Okay, in your opinion, Ju, do you think there is a window where selling the company is like off the table? Oh gosh. It's just so crazy. Cause like, let's say for Naturium, it was like, they're how old? Yeah, like four years old or something. Yes. And we, you know, we're like, is a decade usually like when companies mm-hmm. are acquired? Like, what do you think is like the perfect or maybe not perfect, but typical time when companies are acquired? 
So we were five years old when we went out and people, they were like, oh, you're really young. And I didn't realize it's a bad thing. What I learned is that if your brand is really young and five years was considered kind of young, they think it's really risky. I mean, you you ladies know, like in beauty and personal care, it's so trend-driven sometimes. And there are things that like pop one season and then, you know, in the next two two years, it's like sort of dead. And so buyers are so deathly afraid that something they buy is going to go flat in the next like three to four years. So, so they like to see a business have a certain amount of, I guess, longevity before they feel reassured that it's a brand that's going to stick around for a while. So even at five years, we were considered young. Probably the sweet spot, I would say, is maybe around seven, uh, seven years. And I think they're going to feel you know, a little bit better. Like, okay, this isn't just a fad or a trend. Like this, this is here to stay. So it's amazing when Aturium did, you know, they've only been around for four. I mean, that's a classic brand. It's definitely going to be around for a long time. But I think duration, yeah, sometimes the longer, the kind of more mature you are, the more confident a buyer is going to feel. So if you like a Byredo that's been around for what, like 20 years or something like that, got, you know, a billion dollar price tag or something. So yeah, so I think probably, you know, at a minimum seven, under seven, you're considered still like very green and very young. I'm thinking about all the brands and how old they are. And I'm like, okay, yeah. Who's next? Who's next? You actually touched on this on your TikTok and you said that there are valuations where they're considered too big to buy. Yeah. Can you explain this? Because I found this completely mind-blowing and it totally makes sense. But you would think that having the highest valuation possible is just like people are throwing money at you in order to try to acquire your business. And that's not the case. Yeah. So I learned this in our process because we were growing really fast. You know, I had in my mind sort of a valuation range. And what my bankers told me was the more expensive you are, your pool of buyers shrinks. So there is a kind of ideal sweet spot for getting acquired. And I would say the valuation or the price range would be maybe between like a hundred to $500 million is sort of the sweet spot. And anything over 500 million, apparently, yeah, the pool of buyers shrinks pretty dramatically. And I was told if you're seeking like around a billion dollar valuation, then there, at least in beauty, there are exactly four buyers for you. Because again, not everyone is big enough or, and not everyone has the money to be able to afford a brand like that. And so my eyes were opened when I learned about that because, you know, here I thought like, oh, you know, we'll just wait it out. We'll just, you know, if this doesn't work out, we're just going to keep growing and, and it'll be great because then, you know, we'll get, yeah, a billion dollar valuation in two years and I'll be really thrilled. But I didn't realize that the number of people that you can sell to is so few. Like, I didn't know it was four. So what is that? Is that like Unilever? Probably Unilever, probably L'Oreal probably an Estee Lauder. And who would the fourth be? I don't know who the fourth would be, but it's not that many. Maybe a P&G, maybe. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Wow. That is so wild. The things we learn. I know. Mechanics that go into this. So obviously, Naturium was like the most recent merger and acquisition to make the news. You, you know, obviously were like the big one last year. 
who do you think is next? What brands do you think could be the next and why? Well, K-Teen, I think it's sort of well-documented that K-Teen is out and people think it's going to be the deal of the year. So I'll be really curious to see where that goes. But you know what? That's also a very young brand. I think they launched like 2019. 2020. 2020. Oh my gosh. They probably launched 2019, but literally I remember this because I went and got an in-salon service with K-18 I think a month before the pandemic started. Okay. It was February, 2020. And I remember it wasn't even, I think, available for consumers at that point. It was just a professional treatment. Mm -hmm. And they came in three little tiny tubes and they were like, you literally only need a pea size amount. You don't need that much. And I was literally like, y'all are on drugs. And I was just like squeezing it into my palm. But then once the pandemic hit, I was squandering every last bit of it because I saw such a drastic change to my hair while using it. And then obviously they came out with it. And it really is a genius product. Sarah and I talk about this all the time, Ju, but it's like a hair mask that you don't have to wash out. Yeah, I know. I love it. Same. That is the biggest problem with these hair masks. It's like, I'm sure that they are lovely and make your hair feel great, but nobody has time to actually go in the shower, saturate their hair, wash it, then put it in and then like go about their business and hop back in and shower again. It's like a double shower. No one has time for that. It's like technology, but also convenience. 100%. Ooh, K-18. Anybody else? Anybody else? Well, I mean, Westman Atelier, there was some news that Westman Atelier was being approached. Kosas. I think of Kosas. Yeah, I heard they're growing really fast. Yeah, makes sense. So when it makes like the news like that brands are being approached and stuff, is that planted, right? That's planted. There's no way that people just find that out. Right? Like other buyers are then like, oh, well, I need to have a meeting with Kosas, you know? Yes, there is some PR strategy there for sure. And I don't know who's planting, but I'm sure it's planted. Yeah. I was actually sent this week a story, I believe on Business of Fashion. It's called Beauty's Top M&A Targets. Oh, yes. And it says... This was from January of this year. A flurry of deals just weeks into the new year are a sign of things to come. Business of Beauty identifies the top targets of the year. And they included, I'm seeing Summer Fridays, Augustina Spotter, K18, Westman Atelier, Glow Recipe, and Naturium. Naturium happened, obviously. I'm trying to see, what is this other one in the corner? I can't tell. The branding is not familiar to me. But, I mean... Like this reads like so some banker got in touch and was like, here we go. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't think like Priya just like conjures that up out of nowhere and like selects these and then is like, give us the details. And it's like, oh, it worked out perfectly that these are all on the up and up ready to be acquired. Sarah, do you see it? Do you want me to send it to you? Yeah, no, I see it. And I'm trying to like figure out what that top left one is. It's like, what is that top left? Delina? Have you heard of that brand? I've never heard of this brand. Delina? Excuse our ignorance if we don't know this brand. It says Delina, but it says cashing in on the indie fragrance craze, Parfums de Marly. Uh-huh. Parfums de Marly. Uh-huh. Yes. Fragrance brand. Yes. Fragrance brand. Okay. Okay. Sorry. I am not familiar with this specific fragrance, but yeah, I mean, they're killing it for sure. Totally. I, I'm not familiar with that fragrance either, which is really interesting. But yeah. I mean, like it goes through in this story, it talks about Procter & Gamble purchasing 
Miel Organics. And it talks about Shiseido buying Drunk Elephant for $845 million. Unilever acquiring Tatcha for uh, estimated $500 million. Actually, I have a question for you. Literally, this is us just like picking your brain, which I love. When a brand gets acquired, but you don't see the number, what does that mean? I think some companies, they, especially publicly traded companies, they feel really strongly that shareholders need to know the prices of their acquisitions. But there are others that just, they have their own reasons. They just, they don't want to share all the, you know, the numbers and the juicy details. I know there are a lot of sellers, like uh, the investors and also brand founders who prefer not to have the number out there because then, then, you know, everyone assumes like, oh my gosh, Jew, she made $630 million, which, you know, again, is not the case. So there are pros and cons. Everyone kind of has their own strategy or philosophy towards whether to share the, the headline price or not. So it's kind of a matter of preference, I think. Okay. Yeah. I'm pretty nosy. So I always want to know. And I'm always like, if you're not sharing what's going on, I want to know. Tell me the T. I need to know the number. But that that makes sense. It's not as like as as salacious as I'm, I'm thinking <laughs> in my head that it's like, oh, it's not even a good number or whatever. Oh my gosh. This is this has been so incredible. I love this combo. Ju, thank you for joining us today. What's next for you? Do you have anything up your sleeve that you're working on? You know, I'm with Hero and Church and Dwight for the next few years. You guys just launched in Canada? We just launched in Canada. We're rolling out in the UK and we started rolling out in France, which is really awesome. Yeah, so working on international, still helping out with innovation NPD, helping out with integration. So I'm still I'm still second around. Love. Incredible. Congratulations. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It was so fun. Thank you, everyone, for listening this week. We will be back on Friday with another great guest interview. Make sure you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and follow us on Spotify so you don't miss any breaking beauty news or product reviews. And if you want to support us, be sure to follow us at Gloss Angeles Pod on all platforms and join our Facebook group. Plus, find every product we recommend on our website, glossangelespod.com, as well as links to the stories and news we report each week. You can follow us, your hosts, I'm Sarah Tan, that's S-A-R-A-T-A-N, on all social platforms. And I'm Kirby Johnson, K-I-R-B-I-E, on all social platforms. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium.